What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, we got a special treat for you guys, as we're going to be taking a look back at WrestleMania 14. That's right. Now, for those of you who are regular listeners of The Booch Cast, you guys tune in every week. You've been down uh, since we moved here to SoundCloud a few years back. You know that we've already done a review of WrestleMania 14. And in fact, we did it on an episode entitled Voice of the Voiceless was where uh, Gator Ricky Ross and I did a review of WrestleMania 14 as part of our classic wrestling pay-per-view review segment that Gator and I do from time to time. Now, what I decided to do, and this is mostly for the new listeners or listeners that only liked the WrestleMania 14 review of that particular episode, I have decided to take that review and put it here on a separate track. And the reason I've done that is because here on the Boochcast, uh, we've made so many changes to our format over time. And since WrestleMania is the biggest show of the year in professional wrestling, and because it is the only WWE pay-per-view that we on the Boochcast acknowledge and talk about, I decided that this particular pay-per-view deserved to be on its own separate track. So you will get to hear myself and Gator Ricky Ross talking about WrestleMania 14 and all the craziness that went down during this show. Now, before we jump into this, I do have to give a little bit of a disclaimer here at the beginning. At the time that Gator and I did this recap, this was back during the time when Gator was very much a smartass here on the show. Gator Ricky Ross has been in the wrestling business his whole life. He's a very young kid in his 20s, but has been around the business his whole life and has been in the business for a good five or six years. And he grew up in the business. He has family in the business. He holds the business close to his heart. But at the same time, when he's Gator, he has a tendency to, you know, be a little more comedic and less wrestling informative. Now... This is something that we have changed with Gator over time. So eventually down the road, when we do more classic pay-per-view reviews, Gator is going to be more on top of his game. But during this time, Gator was very much a smartass. Like sometimes I would be in the middle of making a point and he would interrupt me to make some type of joke or to say something inappropriate that didn't need to be said. And there were times where during this recap, if he was physically next to me, I probably would have strangled him. But I tried to keep my cool and be a professional and get through the recap. So is it still very entertaining? It's still very informative, but just know that if you are not a fan of Gator's antics, some of them will be featured in this recap. But overall, I think we did a great job of talking about WrestleMania 14, and I think it's going to be great to hear our perspectives on this great pay-per-view. So sit back and enjoy as the Booch teams up with Gator Ricky Ross to review WrestleMania 14. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are now going to commence with our wrestling pay-per-view reviews. We do quite a bit of these here on the Boochcast. We got a lot of uh, 
What's the matter? Nothing. I hit my foot. Alright. Well, this week here on the Broochcast, we have got WrestleMania 14. This is the first WrestleMania that we're reviewing for this uh, extravaganza. Okay. Basically, how this is going to work, for those you may not know, is how we do this is we go through classic pay-per-views. Gators picked one, I picked one, and we watch and we analyze, and we look at it from a fan perspective, but also as a perspective of two people who work very deeply in the wrestling business. Gators history in the business, my history in the business. We put it all Which together. You've all heard about, so we don't need to... Really we don't need to go about. over it a million times, but put it all together and we... Uh, what do you get? You get the crappy. But anyway. And so I guess Gator, we'll, uh, we'll start you off, man. Tell us how you felt about... Let's go from the first match on down. Okay, well, let's start off with this. Uh, this was in the Fleet Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, in 1998, uh, March 29th, uh, 19,028 people were there, and the tagline was the greatest pay-per-view attraction of all time. Now, we go into the first match. It was a tag team battle royale featuring LOD 2000, the new Midnight Express, Los Bariquas, the Truth Commission, the other Los Bariquas, the Nation of Domination, uh, the Quebecers, the Rock and Roll Express, the Headbangers, Too Much, the Disciples of the Apocalypse, Steve Blackman and Flash Funk, and the Godwins. Now, LOD 2000 ended up winning and becoming the number one contender to the uh, WWF Tag Team Championships by eliminating last the new Midnight Express. Now, this was kind of just like a throw-together just to get a new number one tag team contender. So, it was kind of a throw-together. It was only about an eight-minute, 19-second match. It was a throw-together, but it was it, it had decent tag team. I don't know. It, it's weird when you get one guy thrown out and then both have to leave. Yeah, I always thought that was dumb. It don't make any sense to me. Yeah, you should be able to win the match for your team, if that's the case. It's also why I don't like the the thing they do now with the five-on-five, like, tag team elimination thing. I always thought that was stupid in Survivor Series. It just makes everything disorganized. It just, well, psychology's non-existent, just like K-Pabe, so fuck it. Exactly. Um, And I think the whole reason for it was because LOD was making their return to WWE. Exactly, and it was a way to get the older boys over. Plus, they stuck them with Sonny, so you can't have a better day. Yes, exactly. Trust me, I was a 19-year-old once. Um, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a 19-year-old once. He very, very much was, so as was I. Yes, I was, and it was a sunny day. Talking about the clouds go away. Can you tell me how to get, how to get sunny in the sheets? <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. I know nothing about that. I'm sorry. Yes. So we, so it was my cousin. It was my cousin. Yes. Uh, so we had, and of course, the new Midnight Express was Bart Gunn and Bob Holly. For, for, for those that don't know or, or get the joke that I'm telling, Mr. Bujarelli called me one day after seeing a shoot interview with Sonny and said, Gator, do you need to tell me something? I said, no, Mr. Bujarelli, I don't need to tell you nothing. What do I need to tell you? Gator, do you need to tell me something? Yeah, what happened? What, what, see, what had happened was... I was watching a shooting interview with Sonny where she was listing all the guys she had slept with in the business. And she claims the number is nine. And she claimed. She yes. claimed. Now, because there's been stories and rumors, and she's debunked most of them. Um, but She, she said, claimed. But she gave the list of the nine, and one of the nine she listed was a 19-year-old from Virginia. What? So... <laughs> 
I only know one person in Virginia that might have been 19 at the time this happened. So I call Gator and I'm like, Gator, <laughs> tell me. Because Gator had bragged to me in the past, and I won't name names. Don't name has, no names. Don't name no names. I won't. That he has banged certain women in the business. And we've ran a train on a few, too. Yes, so he's <laughs> talked about him having sexual escapades in the business. So it's not a shock to me. I put two and two together and kind of went with Gator. Are you the 19-year-old from Virginia? Now, he no. swears to me up and down. It is not true. And I believe him because I believe he would tell me if that was true. Yeah, I would tell you if that was true. Mm-hmm. I would totally. I would tell you. I mean, I had my speech with Alphonse Annie. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's it's cool like that if he did. So, of course, and I actually found it interesting that Sonny was a manager for the Road Warriors, even though they were called LOD 2000 because they wanted to keep the Road Warriors and wanted to keep that name. So they went with LOD, so WWE has something to try with. And it's kind of funny and ironic that... Sorry, I'm doing cocaine. Yeah, so it was kind of funny and ironic that Sonny got to be the manager for the Road Warriors because they were inducted into the Hall of Fame the same year, but not together. Yeah, it's really, it's real funny because because she's had some road rash. Anyway. Yes. So Sonny was, they were both, they were all inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2011. And, um. Try the next match. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, before we get to the next match, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Um, oh, go ahead. If you go to the Buff and Boochcast, go to buffandboochcast.podbean.com. We have an interview with Road Warrior Animal that you have to check out. It is fucking epic. Check it out. So anyway, uh, Gator, what's the next match? It's Takamitsunoku. It is a singles match for the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, where he defeated Aguilera, which I, I didn't remember Aguilera. Do you remember Aguilera? No, uh, but he was he was apparently from um, Mexico, and apparently he was S.A. Rios later on. Yes, he was. I didn't remember him as Aguilera. I didn't either. Uh, that was weird to me, but we of course remember him as S.A. Rios because he was he was Lita and S.A. were a team before she joined the Hardys and went her own way. But <laughs> you know, and then S.A. Rios before like, she before she got rated R. Anyway, yes. So anyway, and of course, it was a five-minute, 57 match, you know, barely, you know, close to six minutes, and it was for the light heavyweight championship. This was basically their version of the cruiserweight title, and I think WCW had the term cruiserweights, is why they went with light heavyweights. And also they it went with light heavyweight, which I would have just called them the vanilla midgets that we could throw around title. Yeah, you know, the, the spot monkey title. Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm they, done. That's pretty much all they did. I'm but, done. You know, I'm done. You know, it you know, it was this is of course this is before Takamichi Nuku started doing the uh the promos that would get with, with the dubbing and the eight and the whole evil indie Kayantai thing that would later become more successful. This is when Taka was just wrestling. So it was it was okay. It was it was a decent light heavyweight title match, but really It was a six minute fucking shitty spot fest. That's all it was. Exactly. It is a spot fest. Moving on, we go to Triple H versus Owen Hart. Triple H with China. Um, China with the large vagina. Yes. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. China with the large clitoris. Um. <laughs> and this match was for the European Championship. You don't believe me, ass, yes, Pox. <laughs> yes. Kid, what kind of psycho shit are you into? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. I watched that porno the other day, and that was fucking nuts. Oh, um, God. And she's got a very large clitoris. Yes, she does. Oh, my God. Have you seen this porno? I, I haven't seen that porno, but I saw I saw Backdoor to China, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. Oh, you didn't? That was, that, no. that, was what, that was the first professional porn that she made. Like She signed a deal with Vivid and actually made a real porno tape and not that tape that got leaked and they later started selling to make money. But that was the sex tape that got leaked to the public. That was like amateur shit. This was legit professional, like China being shot, legit making porn with actual porn stars <laughs> fucking her. And it was called Back to China. And then she did a few other, she did a few other porns eventually before she left. And then she became like a teacher, a school teacher in Japan for a while before finally coming back to the States. Yeah, she was teaching sex ed. Anyway. Yeah, very much. Anyway, so Triple H and, and, and Owen Hart, this was match of the night for me. I don't know about you. Uh, I don't those matches of the night but it was very good it was good it was about 12 minutes and it was just pure good storytelling uh well done on everybody's part um there was back and forth uh it did not bury owen either that that's what i liked about it it did not bury owen yeah you know china of course interfered but that was to be expected and in the end triple h got the win got to keep the european championship and keep in mind this was it's weird seeing triple h with the european title because i'm gonna forget he ever had it, it it is but it's the younger years so it's okay yeah yeah he wasn't he wasn't main event level yet it was coming. it wasn't there yet it was like it was like it gets it gets weirder it gets weirder because we see because later in the show we see the rock with the with the uh intercontinental title so it's weird well, it's not, that's not that's not too weird i i was used to that i wasn't used to seeing triple I, I, but i wasn't used to that but, but they they end up brawling for that too later in time anyway yeah. next up we move on to mark Mero and sable versus the the artist formerly known as goldust <laughs> and luna Bush. <laughs> this was good i don't care anybody says this is entertaining as shit. This was entertaining because all it was was fucking Sable and Luna chasing each other around the goddamn ring. And Mark Merrill and Goldust were doing all the wrestling. Oh, yes. It was perfect. And it was of course, per- he's the artist formerly known as Goldust. So he's dressed like really, really goofy, like goofier than usual. Like He's, he's, he's dressed like um certain, a certain indie, I mean, a certain former indie star now turned WWE star. Oh, God. It was, it was, it was horrible watch hashtag hashtag dream over anyway <laughs> oh my god you look like you think you look like velveteen dream a little bit oh it was, and of course luna vachon is you know you can't oh my god cool he's fucking shit fucking shit chasing around the goddamn ring yep and then sable eventually you know getting a chance to whoop her ass and then her and mark and then mark marrow of course celebrating and was mark marrow like was it were they having problems at that point or were they like a side they might have they might have been. I don't honestly remember. I don't either. I just remember um, Mark Marrow and Goldust just killing each other, and then eventually Vashon, you know, just going crazy. If Sable leaps off of Goldust, so the interview Vashon would inadvertently body splash Goldust. Then she does her Sable bomb, and Marrow's TKO and gets the win. So she hits her finishing move, and then Marrow's and gets and they get the win, which is kind of cool. And then you know you start to see like you know some of the inner workings of Mark Marrow and Sable and that relationship deteriorating. But at the same time, they just whooped ass and it was it was just a it, it was a fun entertaining match you know i felt that it, that's all it was at the end of the day yeah and and it was and it was just a good placeholder really yeah it was a good place holder god dang it why the hell is what's the matter phone, phone i did not want to say duck i swear i didn't want to say duck who, who, are you texting the clinger no what are you doing then okay uh very 
Yes. There was this fat chick. Oh, God. What? Okay, can you text the fat chick later? No, I'm... I, I, yeah. Okay, moving on. Anyway, <laughs> so this was a good match. This was... Hey, I'd, be happy I'm fucking actually going through this. All right. Um, mm, All right. Anyway, next up, we have what I hate the most about pay-per-views. When the fucking DQ, we have The Rock defending his Intercontinental title against Ken Shamrock, who, who wins by fucking DQ. Well, yeah, I mean... It, and the thing is, it was actually a pretty solid match. Yeah, all five minutes of it till the fucking DQ. Yeah, basically, um, I think what happened was, basically, Shamrock won with a tap out, but would not release the ankle lock, so he got disqualified. He did, and they gave the title right back to the rock. Yes. Uh, next up, uh, we've got the Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie defeating the New Age Outlaws for the tag team titles uh, in a dumpster match where <laughs> the way that you win is by throwing your opponent in the dumpster. It's kind of like a casket match, but dirty. Yeah, and you have to close the lids and everything. So Yeah, it was entertaining. Like, if you didn't like that, fuck you. It was entertaining. Yeah. They're using the dumpster as a weapon. Plus, it's Mick Foley and Terry Funk, so you can't not enjoy a hardcore yeah. match with Terry Funk and Mick Foley. Yeah. Only they came in as Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie was their name. I don't give a fuck who it was. It was it was two of my favorite wrestlers tag teaming together against two of my least favorites. So I was happy. And it's all violence and weapons, so it's it's perfect. Which which is happy. Yes. Now we go on to probably one of the most memorable matches of the whole entire freaking show, Kane versus The Undertaker. So let me explain what's going on here. So at the end of the inaugural Hell in a Cell match at Bad Blood in Your House, just as The Undertaker looked to have won against Shawn Michaels, the lights go out and a masked man comes to the ring and delivers a tombstone power driver on the shocked Undertaker. The masked man was revealed to be Kane, Undertaker's half kayfabe brother i'm sorry i'm not supposed to read that and despite the animosity between the two of them and the presence of paul bearer undertaker vowed never to fight his little brother before undertaker's casket match with Shawn michaels d generation x claimed kane had joined them but in fact he came to the ring to assist the undertaker the alliance was short-lived however as during the royal rumble event kane came to the ring and locked the undertaker in his casket before setting it on the fire and then on the march 2nd episode of Raw is War Kane's opponent Stone Cold Steve Austin was taken out by D-Generation X and with nothing to do Paul Bearer ordered the timekeeper to deliver a 10 bell salute for the Undertaker's passing before telling Kane to tombstone him after he did more bells were heard to ring this time signaling the Undertaker's theme music anyway long story short they fucking have been fighting for a long ass time okay and the reason they've been fighting for a long time is because Cain has damned the soul of the Undertaker to hell. And that this family will, one way or another, end in flames. So that's the whole whole thing here. This was a good match between two big boys here. Two big bulls. This is back when Kane was scary to me. This was back when Kane was scary to everybody because they were yeah. really pushing him like a serious monster. And obviously, oh, if, you, if, if you've been a wrestling fan for a long time, you're desensitized to seeing Undertaker and Kane fight. But at this time, this was their first time ever fighting. So it was a this big was the initial. Deal. This was the initial one. This was the first. And... Kane had kicked out of the tomb at Tombstone, which I think up until that point, I don't think a lot of anyone had done yet besides Hogan. I think Hogan was the only other guy to kick out of the Tombstone, to my knowledge. 
And then, of course, you know, just the fight breaking out, everything going crazy, and these guys, like, legit killing each other until the end, The Undertaker finally got his victory over Kane, and Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels had the work cut out, because that was a hell of a great match, and the story was built the right way, because they hadn't touched each other that much, really. No, they hadn't. They built it up so well. Yeah. Anyway, main event time. Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Now people say this was this was the match that everybody remembers from this pay per view because of Mike Tyson and the whole punch of death and and switching sides with to being aligned with Stone Cold. I don't think so. I think I think Undertaker and Kane was a bit more for me, but because that was the first time, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a special. But, you know, a lot of people still like the the main event here, so I can't I can't say anything bad about it. Well, people used to be remembered the most is because this was the night that Stone Cold finally won the WWE title. This was his. This was also the night that you see Shawn Michaels' ass. Yes, because this was Stone Cold finally becoming the man in WWE. This was when they were finally going to make him the top guy in the company. Even though the Austin 316 thing made him popular, this is when we're finally declaring him as the man, the guy. You're going to usher in the new era. You're going to be our top dog. And Shawn Michaels is going to go away because he's having back problems. And then, of course, there's the story that people can't tell if it's true. Poor Shawn. And then there was, yeah, the moment where you hear the story that so many people have told. And some people say it's true. Some people say it's bullshit. Where The Undertaker was sitting at gorilla position with taped up fists waiting to see if Shawn was going to do business the right way. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah? I think that was legit. I do too. I think it was legit. And and here's my thing, because it's not uncommon to hear that Taker would do shit like that. Now, they say the tape fist thing might be a, a bit much. That may not be true. Oh, it may not have been tape fist. Now, I don't. I ain't going to yeah. sit there and say that that was going down, but I'm not going to not say that Undertaker was not sitting at Gorilla to make sure Sean done what he was supposed to do. And Taker has said that he, that he definitely was watching. The tape fist thing was a little exaggerated, but he said he was watching to make sure Sean did business the right way because Sean was being kind of a prick backstage at the time and also with the whole Bret Hart thing, people questioned Sean doing business the right way ever since then, you know, so that was kind of a stigma people had about him until... Exactly, and people were people were concerned, and, and I'll tell you what, it's it, rightfully so, and Taker was going to do business one way or the other, and I'm going to tell you, there are some guys in the business that don't want to do business the way you're supposed to do business. They want to make it all about themselves, and that's what the problem and, and this business is not about self. I mean, a lot of people like to think it is, but it's not. It's not. It's, I mean, Vinny knows. You've been in there just like I have. Yeah, it's about doing the job and doing what's right for the business or for, and for the company. And It's and, about what's doing right for the show. Exactly. That's it's, what about it's about what's doing right for the company and the show. And everybody plays a part in making the overall show great. The main event is the main event, and everybody has to do their part to make that show work. You know, the problem is everybody wants to steal the show instead of working together to make that overall show fantastic. Exactly. And that's all you can do. Yeah. 
So ultimately, every match in some way, shape, or form did their part. And in the end, uh, you know, Stone Cold got the win, got the championship, and you know, Sean didn't have any fuckery on his part. And then, that, and when as soon as the match was over, Taker left. Exactly, and and then Taker didn't have to kill nobody. So yeah, that's right. Sean did what he was supposed to do, and then Mike Tyson did the knockout punch. And then there was some other stories about how uh, t- apparently Sean wasn't happy with the fact that Tyson took the Austin three sixteen shirt and draped it over Sean's face. I think I think he said that wasn't supposed to happen, and he was pissed about that. Yeah, he didn't like that. Yeah, he was okay with taking the punch, but he was not okay with the shirt being draped over him like that. Hey, fuck it, it looked good. Yeah, and then, of course, Tyson and Austin leave, and then, you know, then there's the press conference, which apparently Sean uh, was yelling and cussing and kicking the door on his way out, like he was pissed, probably about the t-shirt thing, I don't know, but then, and that was a cool thing, they had a big press conference afterwards, because what Mike Tyson was what made this pay-per-view so marketable. Because exactly. they were trying to use, they were using Mike Tyson to bring people in and make this thing so special. Because at the time, you know, Tyson had been suspended from boxing. So Vince was, this is a way for him to get a payday. And then uh, Tyson, he does this one-man show and The Undisputed Truth. And in there, he talks about how Don King was met, trying to make his own deals behind the scenes. And, you know, really, like, if Tyson had any bad, ex- bad rep- reputation or experience from that... Don King played a role in it. Exactly. To try to con people. So there's a lot of craziness that happened at this show, but in the end, it ended up working out great for everybody and still goes down in history as one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time and one of the best moments in wrestling history with, you know, The Undertaker and Kane finally throwing down and, you know, Austin getting his win and just everything else. Like, a lot of, there's a lot of big major contributions to the show. All right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was our recap of WrestleMania 14. Now, I should mention here that the main reason that our recap cuts off at this point, at least for this track, is because, as I mentioned before, this was done during the episode voice of the voiceless so after this gator starts making a bunch of jokes about the bubbly because at the time this episode came out chris jericho went viral with his phrase a little bit of the bubbly so he starts doing a bunch of bubbly jokes and then eventually we segue out of that and we go into our commercial break to go move on to the next segment so that's why it kind of cuts off here but overall we hope you guys enjoyed this recap of wrestlemania 14 um and i think the main reason that gator was so standoffish and joking during this is because this particular WrestleMania was not Gator's favorite. He was not a big fan of WrestleMania 14. Personally, I was, which is why I picked it as part of the review, because it's one of those things where Gator picks a pay-per-view, I pick a pay-per-view, so we kind of go, you know, back and forth with that. So I chose WrestleMania 14 because I was a genuine fan of this pay-per-view. Now, granted, there were some matches I didn't like, but that's because I can look back on it now from a wrestling analyst perspective and realize some of these matches weren't great, but a lot of them were. And the ones that were still hold true today. So I hope you guys enjoyed this recap now. If you want to hear the rest of the episode, Voice of the Voiceless, I have a link to it in the description here on SoundCloud. You can go back and check this episode out. And in addition to the review of WrestleMania 14, here are the other things that took place on Voice of the Voiceless. Uh, I ta- The reason I called it Voice of the Voiceless is because at the time we did this episode, I had lost my voice over the weekend because I was doing a ring announcing and commentary for a UCW uh, wrestling show entitled Parade of Champions, and I basically lost my voice 
uh, midway through the show. So I had to, but I managed to somehow toughen up, get through the show, still do a great job. But I also still had to record the opening uh, ep- segment for the show because everything else had already been done, edited, and was ready to go. So I kind of lose my voice in the beginning. I'll also talk a little bit about uh, Donald Trump Jr. and his appearance on The View and Talk is Jericho during that time. And I also go into a little bit of detail about the Trump impeachment hearings. Because at the time, this is when Trump was going through the impeachment. And I kind of share my thoughts on that. Now, you should understand that this episode was done a long time ago. So I will admit there are some things I said on this episode that did not age very well. But still, I give great thoughts and great insight into those at the opening segment. Then we get to Gator Ricky Ross, where he talks about witnessing a car accident. And this stage five clinger, who we joked about um, during the recap, uh, coming back into his life. That's why I said, are you texting the clinger? Because we talked about the stage five clinger at the beginning of that episode. And then, of course, we have uh, Gator Ruins Your Childhood, where we talk about Pocahontas. And then, um, of course, Elvis Delinsky and John Tumblin are in there. We do a joint recap of AEW and NXT, where we're together at the same time. And then John and I close out the show to talk about NXT TakeOver War Games. Now, this is not the War Games that recently took place. This is the War Games from two years ago. So I want to preface that and make that very clear. That the War Games recap you hear on Voice of the Voiceless was not the War Games that recently took place. That's on a different track here on SoundCloud. This is one from like two years ago. So I want to make that very clear. But you can check out Voice of the Voiceless here on SoundCloud if you wish to hear about these other segments. Also, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast here on SoundCloud. Go to soundcloud.com slash boochcast, B-O-O-C-H-C-A-S-T. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content that we have up there, Wednesday Wisdom, Complain Time, and a few others. My latest episode of Complain Time is on the Facebook page right now if you wish to check it out. You can also follow us on Twitter, and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos on those sites. Check them out. Follow us. Check out the great content we have. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Come check out all the great content we have on our YouTube channel. We have a promo video. We have archived watch parties, archived D&D episodes. We have our coverage of Dark Side of the Ring, uh, WWE Countdown, skits, and so much more on the YouTube channel. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. We got great content up there, including the live streaming of our watch parties, where you can chat with us during the show. We also have our live streaming of our D&D show. You can live chat with us during that. And other great content coming to the Twitch channel very soon. Also, support the show through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash theboochcast. We have great rewards for great patrons for as little as $1 a month. Just $1 a month. You can help support this show. You can help us uh, pay the bills, keep the lights on, upgrade the equipment, bring in bigger name guests. And it can also help me take care of my guys and gal that help me make this show great. So if you're looking at my co-host and you're thinking, uh, Vinny, these guys do a great job. They deserve to be paid. I couldn't agree with you more. That's why you go to patreon.com slash theboochcast. You can help make that happen. And if you got some extra spending cash and you want to take advantage of some of the other great rewards we have, feel free to do that as well. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. 
We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.